Let's pray. Father, we do give thanks to you that you, the sovereign of all the universe, have drawn near to us your own choosing and your own doing. You have met us in your Son, Jesus, and you have given us then power to live, power to know you and walk with you. You've opened our eyes. Thank you. It's only by that power, in that power, that we can live as we just sang about. It's, it's all you're doing. Thank you. And yet we are still in need. We ask you for more, that you would pour your power on us still again today and again and again and again throughout this week, that you would continue to give us sight to help us to know you and walk with you. So this morning, teach us. Towards that end, grow us up. And as this passage speaks of, will you open our eyes? Cause us to behold wonderful things in you, Lord. Thank you. Amen. This morning is Palm Sunday, the day marking Jesus' entry into Jerusalem before the events of Good Friday and Easter. It was a day of misguided and ironic celebration. As the crowds in general and even the disciples thought they were welcoming in a king, and they were, but not of the sort they were expecting. People thought they saw in Jesus a political deliverer, one who was going to save them from the oppression of Rome, and so they were singing praises. You've heard the passage, you know the story. Hosanna, they were celebrating. And at the same time, Jesus saw the cross and saw their blindness and knew that he had come actually to save from sin, and they did not get it. And so he wept. The, the irony of it. He weeps in sight and they celebrate in blindness. Such spiritual blindness remains still today. In the world at large, as it interacts with and responds to Jesus, often misunderstanding him and ultimately rejecting him. But even at times and in different ways, spiritual blindness is still an issue among us, his disciples. Blindness of a sort. Because, if you think about it, in times and in ways, we all still struggle to see him rightly. We look out at the world, and we see what the world offers us, and in a way, it looks good often. It seems attractive. And so we are, we are inclined towards it. We, we know we've been told otherwise, but we find ourselves tempted and drawn away from Jesus and drawn towards the world. We still need God to open our eyes to what's actually true. Which brings us to our passage for today in Luke chapter 18. Two sections are here about blindness and sight, a blessing, a blessing that is in the form of a miracle of healing. Many of Jesus' miracles, especially those that are told to us with more detail, they're kind of fleshed out and, and, and kind of elaborated on, they, they have a purpose to them. They are intended to show us more than just the raw power or the compassion and mercy of, of God in, in Jesus. They, I mean, obviously, they show us that but they are often also metaphorically illustrating for us our need as God assesses it and then showing us how God addresses our need in his power and compassion and mercy. Often that's going on, and that's what's going on here 
in Luke 18. So we keep that in mind as we look at this passage about blindness and sight at the end of Luke 18. I'm going to read the whole thing, verse 31 to the end of the chapter, and then draw two observations from it. This is Luke 18, beginning in verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. And they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. And followed him glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Luke 18. So two observations. Here's the first. Jesus always knew and willingly embraced God's plan to bring us life. Jesus always knew and willingly embraced. He saw it, saw it from the beginning, saw it from eternity past. He saw it and willingly stepped into it, embraced God's plan to bring us life. This passage occurs right before Jesus enters Jerusalem, right before Palm Sunday, which is why I'm preaching it today. So it's, it's right before the events that are, that are celebrated today. And so the disciples, in their minds, they are expecting one thing. And Jesus, in verse 31, pulls them aside to tell them something very different. To tell them what's actually going to happen in Jerusalem. It's not the first time he's mentioned this, but it is perhaps the clearest statement. He, he kind of lays it all out there in front of them about what's going to come up very shortly. Everything written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. In other words, everything that's going to happen, you're going to see it all, and it's all in the Old Testament, and everything that's in the Old Testament, you're going to see. It's direct connection. This is all written in the prophets. It's there oftentimes in types, which is another word for models, kind of lived out illustrations. And it's also there in a lot of places just in straight language, in, in direct statements of prediction. Now, a really common place is Isaiah 53, a, pa a passage that many Christians know, and actually even a lot of people who aren't Christians have heard pieces of because it's in places like in Handel's Messiah, quoted in song. Isaiah 53, a well-known place, is clearly one of the passages that talks about what's about to happen. Isaiah writes of the servant of the Lord. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, emphasizing his humanity, same thing. The servant of the Lord was sent to die as a lamb led to slaughter. 
bruised, beaten. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He will be cut off from the land of the living, killed with the wicked, buried in a rich man's tomb. That's all about death. And then the passage continues, but he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. In other words, death's not going to have the last word. He's going to live again. He will rise and live, causing the will of the Lord to prosper in his hand. That is all Isaiah 53. It's a lot there, but all of that is right there in written words. 600 some odd years before the moment here in Luke, predicting what's about to happen or rather what's about to be accomplished. Notice that word. Jesus does not just say this is going to happen, only emphasizing I see it, like I know the future, I see it, and it's going to be. Be accomplished. That's a statement about plan, purpose. Jesus is going to get it done. All of this is going to be accomplished. All things that are, humanly speaking, outside of Jesus' control, divinely speaking, are completely under his hand. This is God the Son who is going to accomplish all of God's written plan as, in verses 32 and 33, as the Son is handed over to the Gentiles, mocked, scorned, beaten, killed, and raised again from the dead. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to be accomplished. But if you ask... What's that accomplishing? What's that about? You turn back to Isaiah 53 and you, so to speak, say, Jesus, what are you going to accomplish here? Are you just going to get yourself killed or are you going to do something else in that? And then Isaiah 53 lays all that out too. Phrases leap off the page. Born our griefs carried our sorrows, wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, brought us peace. We are healed. He is stricken for transgression. He makes an offering for sin so as to make many to be accounted righteous. He bears their, that is our iniquities. He bears the sin of many. He makes intercession for transgressions. That's all right there in that chapter. When God the Father sent God the Son to earth, he sent him to be handed over on purpose, mocked, beaten, nailed to a tree, buried in a tomb, raised to life again. To accomplish the goal. Isaiah 53, to accomplish the goal of bearing the sins and the sorrows. Both of those things. To bear the sin that is, that is the guilt of us turning away and the wreckage of life that has resulted. To bear the sins and the sorrows of us, our, their, repeatedly talking about the people of God. He's come to make an offering for our sin, many of us in number, to make us able to stand righteous before God, to make us clean and holy, not by our works, but by his work, the work of being beaten and killed, crucified, buried, and then raised. To bring us from ruin into life, 
to take us out of the guilt of sin and out of the sorrow of brokenness and to bring us back into union with God, the life that we are made for and because of his gracious work can know. That's what the prophets and the prophet Isaiah in particular talked about and Jesus saw that from eternity past and stepped right into it willingly. He knew it all along, saw the end from the beginning, and reached forward to embrace it all from love. Certainly, if we consider the love of Jesus, it leads him to embrace that and to take on himself. I'm going to walk up there, yeah, they're going to celebrate, but they have no idea because shortly, a few days later, I'm going to be mocked, spit upon, stripped naked, beaten to an inch of my death, and then actually nailed upon a tree while still alive. I'm going to suffocate to death after a spear's been stuck into my side. I'm going to do all that because of love. Certainly we can say love for God and God's glory. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And certainly a love for his own honor, a desire to show himself to be the supreme ruler of all things. But particularly, you see, our and their, the people, the people, the people, the people, the people. Isaiah 53 is about us. The love of God for us, for you. For the joy set before him, he embraced, endured the cross. So he would have for himself a redeemed people living with him. He was after you. He was after the glory of God for sure. But he was after you. This is the love of God in Christ for us. Jesus saw that and told them that, told us that right there in red letters, top left corner of page 878 in my Bible. Why? Not so they'd be forewarned and therefore not alarmed when it happened. Verse 34 tells us that they didn't get it. And more, that the saying was hidden from them, that there were blinders on their eyes. Not just that they, they failed to understand, but there was something that was blocking their vision. There were blinders on their eyes, and surely Jesus knew that. He tells them this now, so that later, after it happens, and later, after he takes away the blinders, they'll realize, and we will realize, that he knew this all along and willingly embraced it and stepped into it. That this is God's known, understood, eternity-long love pursuit of us. It shows off his deliberate, willing self-sacrifice. When someone does something for you, especially if it's something that you really needed, when something does something, someone, someone does something for you that's really needed and, and quite special, you feel cared for. And you say, thanks. Ah, oh, that was nice of you. And if it was really, really needed, you say, wow, thanks. And, and if it involves some cost to them, you say, thank you. You look them right in the eye and say, thank you. And then if you find out that that special kindness took a whole lot of long-term preparation and long-term consideration. And when this person opened up 
his wallet and paid the last $5, that was just the last $5. It cost him a whole bunch more than before that. You, when you find out that, that they've been thinking about this for a long time and that it involves significant planning and a whole lot of structuring of life and coordination and a deep amount of sacrifice, the very last bit was just the very last bit, then you realize, I've been on your mind for how long? You've been working out what for? Whoa. And there is something even more, not something different, but something deeper, something even more profound, something more gripping in the grace. You feel all the more loved and all the more cared for, and the depth of gratitude and thankfulness, it resonates. You, you won me for life then. That's more than just a, hey, thanks. I'll get you back next week. It's a, whoa. God wants you to see this about him and about you. That God knew you from eternity past and before you had any inkling, before you existed physically, he established your identity. Remember this from Jude. You're mine, beloved. And then over the centuries, he planned how to bring that into actuality as he worked through the times and the places and inspired the prophets. He worked out his plan over time. You had no inkling of it. None of us here in the room existed physically yet, but he was still after you. And then he brought it to pass that one day his son was born, and then one day, some years later, his son walked up to Jerusalem, celebrated, and then scorned, and then killed, that you would know the life of mercy and peace and multiplied love. Remember that from Jude also. He meant that to be your experience. He planned that from the past. He brought that into actuality. And then many years later, you were born and the Spirit moved upon you and opened your eyes to this and you saw it. Really, you have seen something. Your eyes have been opened. He wants you to see all that and to grasp all that. I did all of this for you that you would know a life now as my beloved of a multiplied mercy and then that when you one day die, which all of us will, that you will one day die and you will be brought blameless into the presence of God into a party, a party, remember this from last week, a party with great joy. You think, I got saved one day. No, 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 no. The hound of heaven has been in pursuit of you for eternity. His goodness and his mercy have been after you all the days of your long life into eternity past. You didn't even exist yet, and he was after you. You were the apple of his eye, beloved. And Jesus very much deeply and passionately wants to bring you to this life, and so he did. And this was the only way he could get it done, and so he said, Ah, for the joy set before me. Yep the joy of the Father's glory and for the joy of my own honor and for the joy of having a bride, my people, with me. For the joy of giving you the life that he planned for you. 
He wants you to see that because that will give you perspective on all the other offers on the table. And the table's full of offers. Look at the world. We know this. God does not just say, don't. He says, don't, but come on, do. Look at this one. Look at this one. Look, look, do you see? And the problem is, the answer is, not really. Yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. You do. You're, if you're a Christian, you see it for sure. But also the answer sort of really kind of is, not really. I'm standing over here, I'm kind of saying like, I, I mean, I sort of see it, but I also see a whole lot of offer over there too. We still need God to open our eyes. Which leads us to the second point. To show us the depth and the breadth of the meaning of these things. So here's the second observation. Fallen humanity, and I mean all the fallen humanity here. Fallen humanity is blind to real life until it turns to Jesus in faith. Fallen humanity is blind to real life until it turns to Jesus in faith, and then he opens our eyes. And I mean that in the first sense, I'm talking about all of fallen humanity, so in the initial sense of come to Christ, and then I mean it in the ongoing sense of come to Christ, come to Christ, come to Christ. And he'll open our eyes, he'll give us sight, he'll give us insight, he'll help us to be understanding, he'll help our understanding to increase as he renews our minds. So, Reading Luke 18, and Jesus tells the disciples about how the cheering crowds will eventually totally reject him, tells them of the cross and resurrection. Verse 34, three different ways the text tells us they did not see that. And the very next verse, verse 35, there's a man sitting by the road, a blind man. Come on. It could not be a much more obvious. God's assessment of the human problem stated in verse 34 and then seen in verse 35, and surely we're supposed to then notice God's solution to the human problem, how the story unfolds. So the blind man hears the commotion and gives attention to it more than usual, and he investigates it, and look what this guy knows. He knows something important here. He asks, who is it? And the people say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, which is true. That's who he is. That's, that's how he was humanly known. But look at 38 and 39, what this guy calls him twice. Jesus, son of David. That's different, and that's really important. He is ascribing to Jesus the role of the great king. He's essentially calling Jesus the Messiah. I know who you are. They say you're Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, no, 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 you're the son of David. The son of David. He recognizes who Jesus is to a degree and begs him for mercy despite the rebuke of the crowd. The world all around him, I mean, you look at this, how the story's developed here. Everybody who's around this guy says, stop that. Do not approach this one and ask him for mercy. 
That's been the message of the world since forever. Do not approach this one and ask him for mercy. Don't. But he presses through the world and he comes to Jesus. He knew him enough to know that he was his only hope. And so in faith he says, help. And Jesus says, what do you want? I need you to recover my sight for me. I'm blind unless you cause my sight to return. That's faith in the right object, in Jesus the King. And so Jesus immediately restores his sight. It was recovered. Your faith has made you well. This is like paint by numbers. Surely there's a lesson for us here. We're all blind beggars, spiritually blind. Such a deep problem in us that, in fact, often we are blind to our blindness. We don't realize what we don't understand. We, we kind of see it, and we think we see it all, but we, do, we don't actually see it well. This is in our fallen natures, and we are blind to how we get and how we live out, even what it means to get and to live out. Freedom from the bondage of sin and its killing effects. What it means to live walking in the truth and to walk and live in joy and rest and love in holy communion with God and in righteous communion with others, that kind of life we just do not get. First and foremost, we need to say that that's the problem of the, the world apart from Jesus. It evaluates him and either outright blatantly rejects him or just kind of passes by as not much there. Jesus of Nazareth, I guess. Interesting. Next. And it misses him. Well, the call to all the world right here has been the call all through the scriptures, God's delivered message to us, what Jesus is about. And here's the offer laid in front of all the world, and it's the only offer that has any hope on the back end of it. That in the cross of Jesus is life, and apart from him is death. Now and for forever. This is the good news, the message sent from God to us here in writing that Jesus came to be shamed and rejected, crucified to pay for sin. That's what he's the Savior from. And to bring people to life, that's what he's the Savior to. This is hidden. This is a mystery. This is a fog to the world until God opens eyes. And so the question to you right now is if you're hearing this a little bit, if you're hearing it just a little bit and you're saying like, wait a minute, are you saying? And you're beginning to just say, I think dot A connects to dot B. Then whoa, hold on a second. You might be in the middle of an eye-opening miracle right now. If you're saying, I think A connects, I think that what that passage in Isaiah was about, I think that what Jesus was doing, I, I think that I'm one of the people that is stuck in sin. I look at my life that's wreckage, and I think I'm beginning to wonder if I'm going to stand before the holy God that this Bible's about. And, 
if you're beginning to see that connection, that you might be right in the middle of God right now saying, let me pull the blinders away. And if you're saying, oh my goodness, when is this guy going to be done? All I can say is, please be careful. I don't get a pay bump if you listen to this. Please be careful. Because if this is true, your life now and your eternity is hinging on something. Please be careful for you. Respond to whatever it is you hear, whatever it is you see, and investigate. Press into it and say, what's going on here? Don't walk away concluding nothing. Please be careful. For you. Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, open my eyes. That's, that's a posture that I would just commend to you. Please take that. He'll open your eyes to what's true, who he is, what hope looks like in him. So that's first. We need to consider that if you're not a Christian, you're thinking about that. Please think about that. And ask him for more. Ask him to open your eyes to the truth. That's first, but that's not all, because if you're a Christian, we're actually still much more like the folks around us who aren't Christians than we may realize. Indeed, we are new creations. A Christian is a new creation in Christ. Absolutely, that's, that's certainly true. But we are still also fallen creations. We still have some problems that are, that are very common to all of humanity we have seen, we do see, but we still need to see more. Maybe it's a bit like being legally blind. There's absolutely blind, you don't see anything, and then there's a whole bunch of people who are legally blind who do see, but not well, and they shouldn't drive. Right? But they can see a little bit. That, that's kind of us now. We struggle to see the outlines, we struggle to see the, with right depth perception, and when it gets to be dark, we have real troubles. I can't hardly see this small print in my Bible anymore. We, we struggle to see still now. We need blinders taken off perpetually. We, it's happened, but it needs to keep happening. Maybe what that looks like in your life is you're a Christian for sure, but you, you hear something from the Bible. Maybe you're a new Christian, you hear something from the Bible, and it for the first time, actually clicks with you. You mean, I've had this conversation with people who are real Christians, and maybe this is you, real Christians who for the first time come to understand, are you telling me that everybody who is not a Christian perishes in hell? I didn't, somehow I didn't get that. You haven't seen that. You don't get that yet. Or maybe what's coming to you from the Bible, you, you hear me preach through Jude and, and you see Jude talk so often about sensuality and sexuality and you realize, wait a minute, the Bible's sexual ethics do not match mine. Whoa. I didn't see that. 
And as you bump into those things, you kind of have a pause. There's a disconnect there that's very different than what the rest of the culture says, and I'm not sure what I think of that. You need to see. Maybe you're past that, though. You've, you've known those things, you understand those things, but you, you come to other parts of the Bible where it says, do not be anxious about anything. That's a command in the Bible. Do not be anxious about anything. And then the opposite promises and the trustworthiness of God and his love and his care and his goodness. You hear that, I'm not to be anxious, and God is fully trustworthy. You hear that in the midst of a situation that is completely challenging to you. Just wreck in your heart with worry, 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 worry. There's a disconnect there. I, I don't see. I am very troubled, and this is very hard. Or you hear teaching about God's beauty and God's goodness. And you read a newspaper story or something online about some horrific situation, the abuse of a child. The, how can that happen in a world ruled by a good God? And you kind of struggle with that. You don't see something. Something's missing there. God's promises of the riches to you laid up in heaven when you, when you lay your life on the altar. But what happened when you laid your life on the altar was that things got really hard. That doesn't connect. I don't get it. This is the Christian experience. Something like that is experienced by us often. And God's commands and God's promises, you intellectually know that should be, I should go this way, but they seem, they look to me unreasonable and unfruitful. I'm supposed to, but what's on the table from the world looks better. But I'm supposed to, I get that, I'm a Christian, I understand. But what you're bumping into right there is a fallen humanness. Not necessarily a sinful, but a fallen humanness. It's not only unbelief, it's also blindness. Keep that distinction in mind. I'm going to work on that here a little bit. Not only unbelief, it's also blindness. There's a way in which unbelief is blindness, but I'm, I'm going to distinguish the two here a little bit. I think that's what the story warrants. As a fallen person, we are bent and plagued by sin in our fallenness such that we look around and we hear and we see and we think. Things look one way to us, but they aren't that way. Or they aren't fully that way. There's a disconnect between what I am, what, what I see the world to be, what, what I think of God. Is this Come with me into this a little bit, Christian. Is, is this not a little bit of your experience? I read one thing, and I see something else. I'm using the word see because of what the story is about, but maybe you think, like, I think or I feel. I read that I have an identity that is, that I am cared for and protected and loved, and but I feel quite vulnerable and I feel like God has abandoned me and I feel sometimes like, where is he? I, I read things about, I hear things about. In the Bible, it's supposed to be, but my experience, what I kind of feel like would, would most I, satisfy me is there's a disconnect there. I read about the God who is good, but then my loved one dies. 
not safely in Christ in old age, young. Is he? There's a disconnect there often in our lives, and what, hap- what we need to have happen is for God to, to open our eyes to see what's actually true about the world that we live in, about ourselves with him, and, and most especially about him and his character. We're very much like blind people grasping for life because when we, when we are confronted with the, the disconnect, very often what, what unbelief then does with that is unbelief then pulls us over into the world and we, we look for the life in the places where it's not found. But thankfully and mercifully, God has provided the solution to this. This blind man's experience. Turning to Jesus. So here's... So working on the, the distinction between unbelief and blindness. This guy was blind and in belief, blind but in belief, said, Lord, help me to see. That's the call to us. Help me to see. Lord, renew my mind. Lord, open my eyes. That's all. Lord, Help, that's faith. Lord, help. Lord, open my eyes. Lord, help me to see. Help me to understand. Show me. That will never happen perfectly in this life, but it will happen increasingly. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That is an ongoing renewing and an ongoing transforming. You are a new creation who needs to be transformed, who needs to be renewed in mind, who needs to have your sight restored. And that comes only as we turn to Jesus and say, Lord, help, open my eyes. And what he will do then is he will, by his spirit, change you. There, there is no particular formula there. If we were to try to like analyze what did Jesus do when he said to that guy and immediately he recovered his sight, well, that's, that's where the power of God, mercifully, graciously applied, comes in. The power of God, mercifully, graciously, will be applied to you and you will see things. If we follow this through the Bible, follow this idea through passages in Ephesians or passages in Colossians, we should also then take into account he gives me some material to work with. The Spirit will transform me. He will renew my mind. Well, what material does he work with? Well, he works with the truth of the Scripture that by faith I'm not just praying. By faith I'm reading prayerfully. Lord, I read that and I see this. Would you help that to make more sense to me? Would you help me to see the truth of that? I'm reading in faith. Maybe I, in faith, I encounter this thing and I say, what does the Bible say about that? I, I don't know that I believe the Bible. It's really hard to understand that. But Lord, would you help me to see it? I'm going to come in faith to the Scriptures. 
I'm going to come in faith to Jesus and ask him to open my eyes. So you see what I'm trying to do here? I'm trying to like press upon us and encourage us to think about the difference between blindness and unbelief here for a minute. And encourage you, sometimes your unbelief is actually rooted in a blindness that God would lift off of you if you were to ask him. Sometimes you can say to somebody, you have such faith. And the answer actually is, not really. I just have more sight. It takes very little faith to trust that thing once I have now seen it. How'd you come to see it? The Lord opened my eyes and showed me. How do you open your eyes and show you? Well, I prayerfully read the scripture about that and he made it live in me. Christian, don't just stand wrestling with unbelief. Go to the scripture prayerfully reading and say, Lord, open my eyes to this. Cause me to behold wonderful things of you in your law. Cause me to behold wonderful things of you in your law that will then show me all of the rest of life in perspective. And the first thing God will say is, absolutely, my beloved, let me, let me draw you right up to Chapter 1, verse 1 of the wonderful things of me that I want to show you in my laws. Let's go to the cross. We could start anywhere. We could start in Isaiah 53. Let's go to the cross through Isaiah 53, and I will show you. I'm going to send one after you to pursue you, to chase you down through all of eternity so as to atone for your sin, to bring you back into a relationship with me. Do you see that? Yeah, I do. Help me to see it. This is the wrestling match. This is the struggle. This is the fight, Christian, that, that you have to engage with in the scriptures with Jesus so as to live life faithful, to live life attached to him. That's what he is highly interested in for you. The Spirit of the Lord will accomplish that in your life. So yield the floor to him and say, Spirit, prayerfully I read, would you, would you incline my heart towards this? Would you show me who, what's here? Would you show me who's here? Would you change me on the inside? Would you open my eyes? And his answer will be yes. That's what you want? That's what I want. That's why I came. What he's after in you, Christian, to show you himself, to draw you to life, to give you sight that you can walk in, to illumine your path, prayerfully read his scripture, open your heart to the spirit and say, show me, and he will give you sight again and again and again. For that now, let me pray for all of us. Lord, I can probably say for everyone here, certainly for myself, I see help my blindness. Please, Lord. Pray that for myself and for my brothers and sisters here who see, but would you help their blindness? And for others who are in different degrees of persuasion away from you, who are in different degrees of wandering, would you help them to see 
you open their eyes. Lord, others who don't know you, who have never known you, would you show them Jesus and the cross and save them? Lord, we are dependent on you to do this. Apart from your grace, we are blind. So please open our eyes to the truth of you and your scriptures and lead us to walk in newness of life. Thank you, Lord. Amen.